on the ground. Untouched. Radio show. Society of Graduate Students at Western University. I'm your host, Ariel Frame, here with my co host, Tanya Nagpal. Hello. Uh, today we're talking with Chris Viet to Jack. Hello. And she's from the same program as me, a neuroscience program, and I've been looking forward to having her on the show for quite a while. So why don't we go ahead and start? Chris, tell us a little bit about what you do. Hi. Um, so I work in Dr. Allman's lab and uh, as an auditory cortex lab, and uh, we specialize mostly in electrophysiology, which is pretty much recording the uh, electrical activity within the brain with different ways so you can either um, record brain waves which people are probably the most familiar with um, but we uh, we can also record uh, directly from the neurons in the brain cool I mean that's uh, some impressive kind of techniques and I I've have a feeling that that's and you told me a little bit before about um, the reason you wanted to join this lab was because they were doing really cool techniques like you just described um, one question that kind of comes to mind when you first said you were working with the audit auditory co cortex, did you say that? Mm -hmm. So audio auditory cortex, that's something to do with sound and, and hearing things, right? Yes, so uh, we are very interested in how we process, um, uh, process sounds and also how the brain changes uh, during, um, uh, during hearing loss. Um, there's um, some of my colleagues are working on tinnitus. Uh, some of my uh, friends are also working on what happens to the brain when you lose the hearing. So um, you probably have heard of when people lose their um, ability to hear, they start, um, you know, they have certain so uh, sensory shifts that uh, your other senses are getting better. Uh, mm -hmm. So one of my friends is working uh, to see how, how does the auditory cortex uh, changes um, during the uh, uh, hearing loss. Like reverse daredevil. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so when when you say that other senses mm -hmm. actually get stronger is there actually like right. is that because you're almost compensating or is there actually something changing in the brain uh so there are actually changes so in the in a certain parts of the brain like um there are audiovisual parts of the so there's for example audiovisual cortex right and so when you're losing uh, the ability to hear the the vision might get stronger or uh, or we're just trying to pretty much see how it looks like. It's not mm -hmm. particularly my project, so I don't, as I can't really tell you much about it. Uh, but I know that there are parts of brain that can process both visual and auditory uh, signals. So uh, when one is getting weaker or completely disappears, it might happen that the other one is taking over uh, completely. That's really cool. No, it's amazing how adaptable. I've always been impressed about, about how adaptable our brain is. Right, mm -hmm. right. Yeah, it's it's quite remarkable, actually. <laughs> yeah. And yeah. they always say that when you're younger, the brain adapts faster or it, it is going to be more likely to adapt. But does it continue all the way through? Um, I think so, yeah. Like, I think that um, the brain changes even when you're when you're older, right? Like, mm -hmm. right now, I mean, honestly, we really don't know much about brain. There is a lot of... Um, a lot of myths, I feel like, um, among the public that, you know, once you're old, you can't do anything, right? Like, mm -hmm. once you're old, you can't learn language suddenly, you know, which is kind of funny because I used to actually teach Polish and I used to teach people that were 70 years old and they were still able to learn second language. So, uh, yes, your brain is not stopping when you're stopping to change when you're young. It's always developing yes. and changing. I think so, yes. So <laughs> there's a chance 
that yes. one day when I'm old, I can go to Japan and dig up all the Japanese lessons that I learned when I was a kid. <laughs> I don't know that. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So you There's said this little... is one of the things that uh, is going on in your lab. Yes. So what, what other things, are, I guess, are you measuring in the lab with brainwaves and um, some of the techniques that you said you were interested in? Uh, right. So I'm more interested in how does um, the so-called top-down control of auditory cortex um, work. So um, we have the part of the brain that is more like a, uh, like a control center of your brain. Uh, and uh, I'm trying to see how does uh, this control of the brain controls the uh, actually you perceiving uh, auditory uh, sensory. So uh, what I'm trying to say here uh, is that uh, when you is that it's a when you hear something, right? Um, mm, I think that you can actually modulate the way how you can hear it um, and uh, what you're hearing. And I'm going to try to actually investigate what part of the brain and how does it happen that you can modulate a different sounds coming from your uh, from your auditory cortex to the higher processing parts of the brain, right? Is that is that kind of I mean that's weird that that came yes. up similar to that similar to what we were just saying about the microphones when we were right. setting up yes. like I guess when uh, these microphones I guess are smart enough that if I'm super quiet or farther away it recognizes that I'm quiet and increases the sensitivity. Right. Do we have like a similar way of doing that when things are quiet? We like oh wait per you know perk those. What do they say? Perk your perk perk ears. Perk right. your perclea yeah. or something. So, <laughs> or whatever the thing yeah, is. So, perk so your cochlea. We, uh, so there is, um, have you ever heard of the symptom, uh, not symptom, but um, uh, a thing called um, cocktail, uh, this, uh, a cocktail party syndrome? Or not syndrome, but... Um, oh, yeah. Uh, it's a yes. psychological phenomena that happens. Yes, like, like a phenomenon, right? So if you are in a, uh, in a room full of people and, you know, there is a there is n and there is a noise right but uh suddenly you know a couple a couple people away from you somebody mentions your name and mm -hmm. you can hear it right you yeah. can like pick it up like even though there is a lot of noise, noise yeah. right so uh, uh so there must be some uh, some kind of a control of like whatever the stimulus is coming to your ears to the higher processing um places that can that allows you to pick it up because it's relevant for you right mm, that's that fascinating yeah yes. i think i think i might have heard um uh, Suzanne, that's Suzanne Schmid, who's the director of the neuroscience program right. that we um, talk to often. Right. Um, I think <laughs> I've heard her something. Isn't it sensory gating or sensory filtering? Yes. Is that what that yes, is? Yes, yes, yes. Hmm. Interesting. So that is a process. You were saying top down. When you say top, is that like oh, top I, of the brain or where top? What's well, top? Well, it is. It is kind of top of right. But uh, so so top would uh, would mean more in a, in a terms of the pathway of auditory processing right so so the very beginning is your ear right so it goes to the ear it goes through like all your the ear canal gets to your to your brain um it gets to the membrane then it starts traveling in the brain right the first it, it goes through the brain stem then it goes to your auditory cortex and then from the auditory cortex it goes even farther to actually you know analyze what the sound is right not mm. just that we have the sound but also you know all the emotional responses, mm. our thoughts, and all this stuff. So that would be the the top. Mm -hmm. hmm. So, so the top is not necessarily where it starts; it's where it's ending. Yes, now. yes, okay. yes, yes. 
And so then you actually study then within the brain this, this communication. So are you studying from the ear to the top or? I uh, So I'm more interested in uh, actually relationship between the down and the top. So I want to see if uh, if I do some um, damages uh, to the to the auditory cortex, if it will uh, infect or influence the prefrontal cortex. Hmm. All right. So the prefrontal cortex is the part of the brain that is mostly um, uh, it has more like cognitive functions. Okay. So uh, I want to see if I when I do the uh, changes to the auditory cortex, if I'm going to see changes in the prefrontal cortex and the other way around which is very relevant, for example, for different um, diseases, like, for example, schizophrenia. Mm -hmm. Because when you think about it, most of the schizophrenic people have auditory hallucinations, right? And mm -hmm. those auditory hallucinations, they are not there, right? Like, right. Uh, they are not real, right? So they, they need to, like, Hope come so. from somewhere. Uh, so um, so I think that, that uh, they might actually, you know, originate from the prefrontal cortex, versus the auditory cortex. So you're really looking at the communication within the brain yes, itself. Yes, yes, yes. I'm, I'm very interested in actually circuitry of the, uh, of the brain and the nervous system. Mm -hmm. Not particularly auditory. It just happened to be auditory cortex labs, but I was yeah, definitely more interested in the circuitry and uh, electrophysiology yeah. techniques to do it. This, uh, this might be like kind of too, ar too out left field, but yeah. it kind of makes me uh think about freud and like freud's sort of ideas which i know next to nothing okay. about but i know there's this like <laughs> id ego sort of thing going on and and, okay. and i just always pictured when i heard about these things in psychology that there's like uh like a animalistic part of your brain that like is trying to do stuff and another part of your brain that's kind of smarter and like reserved and it's like whoa 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 Take right. it easy. And so there's different parts of your brain, like, kind of telling you if that's even a thing and there is such a thing as free will. Right. <laughs> but if there is such a thing as you <laughs> and there's different parts of your brain telling you what to do. Right. And they're, like, fighting. And then the part that you're talking about here is, like, uh, I don't know, what to do when you have an audit auditory stimulus and there's a part of your brain that's just, like, okay, that's what that's what we got in and another part says, uh, no, it's just noise, don't worry about it. And another part's like, wait, 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 I heard something in that noise. Right. So does this relate? Can, have you ever thought about it in that way, the id, ego, psychology phenomena in terms of like schizophrenia? Like, does that play in? I don't know. <laughs> uh, um, not really, to be honest with you. I, I've, I think that I studied Freud a little bit somewhere like my first mm -hmm. year of undergrad, but um, the rest is, you know, mostly like I don't really know much about it. Uh, and I think it would but, be challenging because um, yeah. the id and ego, those are personality right. traits. And right, right, I, right. I was actually thinking when you were talking about that with Freud of um, when they show like the good, the good angel and the devil on either shoulder yeah. and they're going into each ear. Right, yeah. But with what you're saying, so with the schizophrenia example, that's, that's great because it helps right. us kind of make it more applicable or real. Right, right, right. So are you maybe hypothesizing or, or mm -hmm. hoping to see or thinking this is what will come up is that there's actually a way to reverse the top down so we can actually have the prefrontal cortex communicate to the auditory and then the auditory can communicate to the prefrontal? 
so we already know that they actually do communicate. I mean, there are mm. functional connections between prefrontal cortex and auditory cortex in both ways. And uh, so what I'm actually trying to see is just like how do they communicate? And if if we damage one part, if what kind of happens uh, to the other? Yeah, what ha what uh, things happens to the other? Uh, so there have been certain research that they found out that um, you know damages to the uh, to the auditory cortex or hearing loss can actually um, cause a cognitive dysfunctions. So that would have a big influence on the, on my research too. And mm. does age play a factor in this? Uh, that's one of the one of the directions that we are hoping to go into. Actually, okay. yes. Because yeah, <laughs> I was thinking about you know. Um, someone who's maybe born who isn't able to hear right. um, and how that expect, ex, uh, how that affects their ability to then speak. Right. Um, and But if you're maybe older and you experience auditory decline, is there? Right. Well, I think, well, th yeah, that's going to be, it's a very actually good question and I don't really know the answer to it, but uh, there's going to be definitely, you know, a different, uh, different, um, different uh, differences in like the, the brain structures itself of a, uh, between the person who was born deaf and the person who became deaf because mm -hmm. of um, certain accident, right? Because uh, when you're born deaf, like um, when I mentioned earlier, the, the multisensory cortex, right? When we have audiovisual uh, cortex, right? It's not going to be really, um, um, you know, engaged in auditory for the person who was born deaf, right? Because they never had this auditory input, right? So their mm -hmm. brain's going to be structured completely different and their, st and their circuits might be actually completely uh, different from the, um, from the case when the person loses the hearing um, in an uh, older age. Interesting, yeah. So, I mean, that really goes to show that um, your development is so, is so connected to your environment right. that you know, your brain will be entirely different if you don't hear anything for the beginning yeah. 10 yeah. years or 20 years. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Like, like, I mean, I presume, I presume, um, whether, wherever, whatever the reason is for you not being able to hear, be it like they're just someone put you in a room where there was literally no sound for 20 years, or you had an issue with your cochlea mm -hmm. and, right. and you couldn't hear, both would result in a similar no, no change, no, development or that area of the brain you said that would usually be for listening it, it wouldn't be right right, right. Mm -hmm. yeah i mean because you have you know you have the entire entire temporal or like your side of your brain is pretty much you know devoted for processing the sound and if you're born uh, with a with a cochlear uh, dysfunction and you can't hear you have suddenly you know this part of the brain that can do something completely different, right? <laughs> and does this kind of, like, what happens then for uh, maybe children who are born with mm -hmm. some sort of an auditory issue, like you said, with the cochlea, and then they're given hearing aids or they're given right. treatment and now they can hear? Does the brain adapt then? I, I think so. Mm -hmm. I mean, like, the I've, I've seen videos of people that, uh, you know, they've never heard before and then yeah. suddenly they can. Uh, and I'm pretty sure that there's going to be, you know, a lot of plasticity of the brain. Um, and very instant plasticity, too. Then. Uh, probably, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I assume that, like, when you have a person who's born deaf, I, um, I don't think that their entire auditory cortex suddenly, you know, switches to doing something else, you know, and suddenly, you know, makes you great in math or something like that, right? Mm -hmm. I don't think that that happens, but uh, um, it definitely is, like, not really working as much as it's supposed to and maybe it's doing something else but once it's you know 
connected to to what it's supposed to be doing uh, i think that there should be you know some amazing plasticity going on suddenly mm-hmm. so it's like hey we can work now you know do, do we know um i mean i i would guess that yeah. if you had a person who couldn't hear their whole life and that area was that area of the brain that mm-hmm. usually would be for hearing was used for some other sense or i don't know something else that the brain does it would be used probably for whatever the thing adjacent to it <laughs> does right so do we have kind of an idea like what the stuff surrounding auditory cortex does and what it might be that area might be repurposed for if someone couldn't hear during development mm. That's a good question, and I don't really know the answer to it, you know, but uh, I know that, um, you know, around surrounding the auditory cortex, we have the parts that are also uh, important for uh, speech development, right? Mm-hmm. And a lot of times people that, uh, that, have, uh, that are born with, uh, with a cochlear uh, impairment, they have technically there was, they should be able to speak, right? Because with their, there is nothing wrong with their speech, but they do have the problems of sp- uh, problem speaking and they have to go through the extended therapy to actually be able to uh to talk right mm-hmm. mm. but uh, yeah i can't really answer the question like what uh, what would they be better at if if they can't hear okay so um you uh, let's go mo- let's go back a little bit to uh-huh. the techniques that you were you okay. said you, you said you like to do mm-hmm. um so this is cool. We want to measure a part of the brain, what it does. So wh- how it's a number of different ways to measure uh, how neurons are functioning. Um, how are you going to measure the neurons? So I measure it by uh, measuring local field potentials, uh, which in um, the most popular language, I think it would be um, just brain waves. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's just uh, pretty much measuring how much so the brain brain waves or brain oscillations originate from the long distance um, communication between different parts of the brain, um, and uh, yeah, with different manipulations with different drugs, we can see changes in different uh, in different brain waves. Therefore, like we can really learn a lot about communication between different parts of the brain. Mm. Kind of like measuring electricity yeah. in yeah. the brain. Because yeah. that's kind of <laughs> what what neurons do. They transmit a signal yes. from chemical to electric, and and vice versa. <laughs> yeah. So, um, in a in the, in the brain wave, if it's a, a field, it's like mm-hmm. a, a a lot of neurons at once, right? Yes. So, just um, when you have the the wave, if it's mm-hmm. like the top of the wave versus the bottom of the wave, is that like what what is the top and what's the bottom? Um. So so we measure. So when we when we measure the the output, right, it's just a lot of uh, squiggly lines, and we uh, we break it down to the different brain waves to to alpha, beta, gamma, and theta, uh, based on their frequency. Uh-huh. Um, so and, uh, if the theta is the fast one or the slow one? Uh, theta is actually this fast one, and uh, they actually don't go. Uh, unfortunately, you know, when you have like a zero to whatever, 20 hertz and stuff like that, they don't actually go alpha, beta and stuff like that because they uh, they were named, you know, historically. <laughs> so uh, ah, that's always the yeah. best way to name yeah, things, right? Right. <laughs> yeah. Make it a little harder to remember. Right. <sighs> so good. so the fastest one are the gamma. So they are the, the highest frequency. And actually, I said it wrong. The theta was the, the, the slowest one. Yeah. 
So when you said that um, you can manipulate to see, um, like you said, you could kind of um, make a make some sort of a problem in one cortex or the other. Mm-hmm. Um, do you? Is it kind of like trial and error? You kind of try to come up with different sort of problems and see how it happens, or is there something specific you look for? Um, so a person before me was working on a tinnitus, um, and um, um, that is was due to noise exposure. Uh, so it's the the phantom ringing, right? And uh, it. Uh, so we don't really know exactly where does it originate, whether it you know whether it originates in auditory cortex or in a prefrontal cortex, and how does it actually. Uh, influence things. So, so one of the ways to manipulate it is to um, give it directly the treatment that we see in uh, with the problems with with humans, like noise exposure, yep. and uh, and other manipulations are just through reading, reading you know hundreds of papers and yep. seeing what other people do. <laughs> okay, so you're kind of building off of other people's work. Yes, and that's kind of what in the doctorate program. That's kind of what we do. We don't just pull things right out of the sky right. yeah give yeah. it a go yeah i mean i think it's I, I mean i try to do that as well with the, any any protocol i'm trying to do um uh i think some advice i've been given is like don't don't reinvent the wheel mm-hmm. you know there's somebody out there who Definitely, probably did yeah. a similar technique so take what they did try and recapitulate it and then modify it for your purposes yeah so. and there's lots of um, I guess importance and even repeating what someone else has done. You want to see if you can get the same findings, uh, right? Yeah, yeah. Actually, like this is a this is great because I actually wish more people that there would be like you know more um, research done for actually repeating mm-hmm. previous uh, previous uh, experiments and stuff like that. I think that um, you know science world actually needs that. <laughs> I completely agree with you. And I actually read a blog post on mm-hmm. that exact topic. Um, so I'm from a completely different field. I'm okay. in kinesiology. So we looked okay. at exercise and nutrition and they had said that there have not been enough control trials repeating to mm-hmm. actually show that, you know, if I were to do this again with the exact same population group, I will get the exact same results. Right. And, you know, if you were to do the same study and get completely different results than someone who'd done it before, that kind of shows you that there's something off. And so I'm sure studying brain waves, that's critical. Right. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I think so, yeah. Yeah. I don't know. Nowadays, it's, uh, you know, somebody found something cool and it was in a, in a big journal. Mm-hmm. So don't worry about it. it. It's true. Everyone take into it, take it into account. If it's kin kinesiology then like anything yeah. now based on that paper we should uh, exercise this way the specific <laughs> way the yeah. specific way and yeah. uh, just take it because uh, i read it somewhere once and mm-hmm. uh, we, yeah they definitely don't repeat but uh, but i mean also that's not just because people don't want to repeat stuff maybe it's because repeating to say i want to get funded to, to do what what are you doing oh i'm just repeating like the past 10 years of work in this field because because it's not good enough and i don't believe it they'd be like uh innovation box not no. check yeah you're not getting any that's money that's a great point. so yeah. it's not it's, really it's, fair yeah well like it's, it's the same with like you know publishing the negative results right <laughs> right like, no, yeah. nobody is int- really interested in publishing negative results which is you know really pity because i you know i wish that they were published the negative results so then you know poor grad Learn students would have to do it again right <laughs> to find out themselves what is a negative result uh, so the negative result is uh, is a result that, um, first of all, is not an exci- is exciting, right? <laughs> uh, so if I give you an, 
a very simple example, like I would have an hi- hypothesis that this drug will treat Alzheimer, right? Mm-hmm. And that's my that's my hypothesis, right? Um, but uh, and then I do my entire research study, and then it happens that the drug doesn't actually treat the Alzheimer, yeah. you know. So nobody's really happy about it. Nobody's excited about it. So nobody's going to publish that uh, that finding. Yeah, very um, true. Yeah, yeah but uh, but it would be really nice if they actually did do it because then the next person that stumbles upon that that drug is not going to waste their time trying to figure out if it's going to actually treat the Alzheimer because they, they would already know that it doesn't, you know? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, so the value of negative results is, is extremely big, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. It's just pity that nobody else really, you know, it won't give you funding or anything. Yeah, I mean, it actually just reminded me, I guess, of... Uh, I, I, st- I once worked in a C. elegans lab, which, mm-hmm. uh, which is a little nematode worm, <laughs> and um, you learn... Uh, it turns out these little worms can learn and they have a memory, um, which is maybe news to some people, but it was, um, it was found or there was a paper published that said that these worms could not just learn, do learning and memory, but actually navigate a maze. And I was like, wow, this is really awesome. And I went to my supervisor at the time and said, like, I want to try this. There's this paper. It's amazing. Like, let's try this and we can use this as a, as a learning and memory paradigm. And she was like, I tried it. It doesn't work. It's awful, and, it, <laughs> and, and and I've tried. So many people tried to do it, and it doesn't work. And I was like, well, they didn't publish that. Like, so now if someone else wanted to like go investigate, right, putting right. C. elegans in a maze, they would find this paper and be like, oh great, it works. But little do they know, right. somebody's already spent so many hours trying to get it to work. They actually sent a student to the lab that did it and used the same device wow. that they did in the paper and they couldn't recapitulate it in that lab and they didn't publish that anyway. and they didn't publish that so people are going to just keep trying no. yeah <laughs> huh. okay so i mean um we now know the the turmoils of of being a grad student and struggling with these sort of questions like what project do we have to do um and and uh what what avenue to go go on and uh you've said that you are still sort of in the works deciding exactly which avenue to go on so um we're coming sort of close to the end here so what sort of what sort of what sort of advice can you give to other other students that are just trying to starting for second year um and uh trying to formulate their project um read a lot of papers (laughs) (laughs) uh probably and um Talk to your supervisor as much as you you can. Uh, you you might you know I don't know. Don't be afraid to um, come up as too eager or to annoy your professors. Cause yeah, one day you might be you know bothering them and annoying them and stuff like that. But at the end of the day, you know it's your degree and you're there to learn. Uh, so uh, so yeah, just keep reading papers and keep asking questions. That's great advice. Yeah, yeah, I like that a lot. Okay, so um, uh, right before we go, last thing, uh, if somebody wanted to follow up with you about your work or uh, about your lab's work, mm-hmm. where can they where can they go? Do you have a website or uh, something online? I don't know. I actually don't know if we have a website, okay, <laughs> to be honest with you, for my lab. But um, I'm in an MSB uh, building on the fourth uh, fourth floor, of Dr. Alman's lab. Um, and uh, yeah, so anybody can would just email me or something with questions. Right. So I presume yes. if they just uh, kind of Google Brian Allman UWO, then they'll, yes. they'll find you. 
I believe so, yes. <laughs> okay, so that's the end of our show. Thanks for listening. This has been GradCast with Ariel Frame and my co-host Tanya Nagpal. And we've been talking with Chris Vietjak. Um, and if, thanks for listening. If you're listening live on the radio, you would know that we're on CHRW 94.9, 6 p.m. every Tuesday. Thanks for listening. And uh, another way to listen to us is also um, on gradcast.ca. All our episodes are up there. And also we are a podcast as well. So you can download our podcast wherever you get your podcasts. Um, if you want to come on the show, you are very much welcome. Please come on the show. Um, as a grad student at Western, and you can email us at gradcastradio at gmail.com. You can also email us at that same email if you want to do what I'm doing and join the committee. Um, it's a really fun committee, and we need some more people, so go ahead and email us whenever you like. And that's all we have for you. Thank you. Behind a trail of disaster.